This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cavanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If you would open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're in a series on the theme of community. And this is our fourth week, and I thought I was going to be done after three, but we're just sticking on it, and we're going to cover Romans chapter 12 the next two weeks. And so this is sort of just playing out a little longer than I'd anticipated. Uh, But we want to continue on it, because we think the Lord is communicating some stuff from the Scripture to us as a church. Have you ever seen someone who lives off a dated reputation. They live off of sort of what they once were. They, they think that they are who they used to be, but things have changed and maybe they don't even know it. Ever met someone like that? That's true with uh, a lot of bands. A lot of the bands I grew up with or that, that's just a reality. I remember when I was a young person, a kid, and, and when a concert was coming to town, I would look in the newspaper and they would advertise, here's all the bands that are coming to town. Now, somehow I'm on email lists. I don't know how, but I'm on multiple email lists where I get emails regularly that just announce bands that are coming. So the methodology of delivery of announcing concerts has changed. But I can remember being a young person and say, who, look who's coming. Open up the paper. This will date me a little bit. This will be meaningful for some of you and not for others. But uh, I would look and say, you know, Sticks is coming to town. Kansas is coming to town. ZZ Top is coming to town. Rush is coming to town. Now I get emails and they tell me Sticks is coming to town. And Kansas is coming to town, and ZZ Top is coming to town, and Rush is coming to town. Uh, You young people, come up with your own music. I don't know, but all the bands when I was growing up, they are still touring. They are still coming, and many of them have not written any new music since the 70s or the 80s. And they are really living off a reputation. They live off the reputation that we rock And the reality is the only rocking many of them should be doing is in a chair because they left all their uh, all their their music and their skills and their show like way 2030. This is three, four decades ago, and they're still going because people are stupid enough to lay down one hundred dollars to go see them. And they're really with no new music and aging, decrepit bodies. They are living off a reputation They are selling what once was. Back in the day. That's possible for a Christian, you know. There there was a time when I was excited about the Word of God and I was reading the Word of God and I was praying and I was sharing my faith and I couldn't wait to get up on Sunday morning to gather with the people of God and worship. Back in the day. and, And sometimes we can view ourselves... As that's as if that's still going on. And what we're really doing is we're living off a reputation and not reality. And and that can happen to a church as well. It can happen to any church. You know, I can think back. We're not an old church. We're not nearly as old as uh, my opening illustration. Some of those groups. But we are coming up on five years this month. We're celebrating five years of being together as a church. And in just five years, I can look back to the first year and the second year. Many of you were here when it was fresh, we're church planting and there's a degree of excitement. Everything's new and every new visitor that would come in, there was such an eagerness. Fifteen people would bear hug them and welcome them, tackle them in the lobby. I mean, it was a little too friendly, but there was just an eagerness. We're building relationships together. And there was this vision like everybody, I'm all in on the community thing in this church and I'm opening my house and I'm spending my time and I'm reaching out and I'm building relationships and I'm inviting people to church and I'm praying for my neighbor to come to Christ. And there was just this excitement about community early in the life of our our, our church. And I, I think my concern is for myself and for any of us that we don't want to live off a reputation. We don't want to when I assume everything's okay, because at one point I was committed to building relationships and investing my life with those around me. I don't want to live off that reputation, but we can see ourselves 
and view ourselves as if it's the old days. And we can fail to realize that entropy sets in and that drift occurs. And one of the reasons we're focusing on this in this series is to encourage us, those of us who've been around, you can't really be an old timer, five years isn't that long, but those of us who've been around a while, that God would refresh us and wake us up and renew us to his glorious vision to build the church, to bring him glory and uh, to reach others and to build community together. And for those of us who are newer, it's to maybe open our eyes to what is the church about? What does the Bible prescribe for God's plan for the church so that we can all commit ourselves to what God is doing That the Spirit might work in our hearts so that our hearts are molded according to His purposes. And we're spending our time and our energy and our relationships and our resources. We're we're investing them in what God is up to and what He's doing in our day. So that we can be renewed in all that. I mean, we don't want to be the aging guy on stage who someone has to announce, Hey, it's been gone a long time, pal. We don't want to be that way as an individual Christian or as a church to realize that was something that used to happen. We want to be those who are given to God and experiencing his work afresh in our hearts. And so that's what we're doing in this series. And in Romans chapter 12, there is this very helpful explanation of what God is doing in building his church. Let's read together, beginning in verses, verse 1. I'm going to go to verse 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to his measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, In our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holy word and we bow before it humbly today and we say, speak to us. God, if some of us need to be awakened to reality of where we are. We pray that you would do that and that you would graciously call us to turn afresh to you today, Lord. And and uh, if some of us, this is new, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying and that we would be taught and instructed by you, by your spirit through the word today, all of us. And we ask you just to meet us here. We ask that we'd be hearers and doers of your word. We ask that you would reveal the Savior afresh to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to concentrate on verses 3 to 8, but we must say something about verses 1 and 2 because that's really the context for all this. In the book of Romans, Paul is laying out the gospel. He is explaining the good news. That's what gospel means. The good news that men and women, Jew and Gentile alike, are all sinners and all under the wrath of God, deserving of his judgment. But God has sent Jesus Christ, who is the perfect God, perfect man. Jesus is the God man. And Jesus has given his life and died on a cross to be a sacrifice so that those who would believe in Jesus could have their sins forgiven, Jew or Gentile, could have their sins forgiven and could have eternal life and be uh, reconciled to God with whom we are separate because of our sin. And in verse chapter 12 here, he's beginning to talk in, in this passage about what that means. So once you've become a Christian, what's that to look like in your life? What does that look like? And so he just describes very simply that he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual worship. So he says, in view of the mercy of God, what's the mercy of God? That God forgives and saves sinners through Jesus Christ. Based on God's great mercy to us, his kindness to forgive us our many sins. Based on that, 
Make your life a living sacrifice. Offer yourself. Now, it doesn't say that you're right with God because you sacrifice yourself, because you trust him, obey him, follow him, or available to him. What it means is that because he's already sacrificed himself so that you could have your sins forgiven, now live a life open to him. Live a life as a spiritual sacrifice. That's your worship. A lifestyle of worship is a lifestyle of saying, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Now, how can I please you with my whole life? And he also says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that as we understand this message of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, as we think about it, as we meditate on it, as we apply it to our lives, God changes our attitudes and our heart and enables us to live a life that's pleasing from him. So for him. So when we read this, it can sound just like sort of individualistic Christianity. You be a living sacrifice to God. You open your life to God. You have your mind transformed by God. So it all sounds very individualistic, but he moves quickly to community because in verses three through eight, he's talking about the church being one body with different members. And so he moves from individual faith to community seamlessly seamlessly. That's because we live out our transformed lives in community. Once you become a Christian, you're to live that life out among other Christians and you're to use your spiritual gifts to serve other Christians. That's what this this passage is about and to reach out to those who don't know Christ as well. So we're to live our lives, our transformed lives in community using our gifts to serve Others And so in verses three through eight, he's going to talk really, there's kind of three ideas I want to camp on here. The first one is grace leads us to think soberly about ourselves. Grace leads us to think soberly about ourselves in view of God's mercy, offer yourself to God. And then in verse three, he starts talking about assess yourself soberly. Verse three, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul starts, by the grace given to me, I'm telling you this. What's the grace given to Paul? Well, he's probably speaking specifically about his gifts. He was an apostle. He was preaching the gospel. He was planting churches. Uh, He was writing scripture. And so uh, he is sent by God to do this. That was God's grace. But even more than that, Paul lived with an awareness He lived with awareness that he used to persecute the church. He used to hate Jesus. And now he's building the church and he loves Jesus. How does that happen? By the grace of God given to him. So Paul is understanding who he is. Frankly, nothing apart from the grace of God. He understands that. And so he's saying, by God's grace given to me, I'm telling you the same thing. What I'm telling you is don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself with reality. Have an accurate perspective on yourself. And we have an accurate perspective on ourselves when, as the sentence begins, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We have a right perspective on ourselves when we think of ourselves in light of the grace of God. When we think of ourselves as it's amazing that I'm a Christian. How am I even a Christian? Because God has been gracious to me. How am I a participant in his church? This is astounding. Because God has had mercy on me. God has been gracious to me. It's undeserved. It's unearned. Left to myself, I'd be fighting against God. If God hadn't come after me with compassion and mercy and love, I'd be shaking my fist in his face. If God hadn't grabbed me, I would be running from him straight to hell as fast as I can run. But God had mercy on me and reached out to me and opened my eyes. See, that perspective helps us to think reality and not more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? He says to the Corinthians, they're boasting about all kinds of stuff. And this is the question that just cuts through it. He says to them, what do you have you've not received? The answer is nothing. He goes on to say, if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, how in the world could you take credit for your faith? How could you take credit 
for your super spirituality, he would say to them. How could you take credit for your moral conduct? God has worked in your life. And so we need to have a sober assessment of ourselves. And he's ultimately going to talk about gifts here. He's going to list a number of gifts. And so it would apply there too. How could you be proud of your gifts and ability? How could you be proud of your strengths? They're a gift from God. And thus we point back to him through them. So we don't want to think too highly of ourselves. And grace is, is the leveler, which shows us that what God has done. But we also don't want to think too lowly of ourselves, especially with this issue regarding gifts. Um, it would be arrogant to think too highly of our gifts, to not have an accurate assessment of ourselves, to think that we are far more gifted or capable than we really are. That would be arrogant. But it would also be arrogant to sort of, in a, with a false humility, hide our gifts, not use them, keep them back, not really wanting to step out and use our gifts because we wouldn't want anyone to think of us as proud. That is pride. To not want to be perceived as proud, that's pride because we want others to have a good opinion and assessment of us. And, and we see this in this phrase here where he says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I think that's talking about the gifts, which he goes into in the next verse. That God has given each gifts and he's given each a measure of faith to exercise those gifts and to participate in the body of Christ. And so we want to exercise the faith that he's given us. So we may not have the faith to exercise gifts at some level that someone else does, but we have faith to exercise the gifts that he's given us. And so that's what he's talking about here. Don't hide your gifts. Use your gifts is what he's going to say a couple verses later. So grace leads us to think soberly about ourselves. Secondly, grace leads us to think soberly about the community. Grace leads us to think soberly about the community, that is, the church. The context here is having an accurate assessment of ourselves. But once we think rightly about ourselves, what does he point to next in verse 4? Think rightly about yourself soberly, for as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he's saying, he's using an illustration. And he said, just like a body has different parts. He uses the same illustration in 1 Corinthians 12. Just like a body has different parts. Think about your body. Each part has a different function. The hand functions different than the eye. But they're all necessary to the body. He says there's different parts with different functions, but there's one whole. I mean, my hand is not separated from my eye. Uh, I mean, we can identify them. Here's my hand. Here's my eye. We can identify them as individual, but they're a part of one body. And that's what he says the church is. It's one body with different parts, with different functions. And so when it comes to assessing our identity, we are to think of ourselves as an individual Christian, first of all, like a hand would be an individual part. An individual Christian who has faith in Jesus Christ and has had their sins forgiven. But we are to equally think of ourselves as part of his church, part of his body. There is no identity. Your personal identity is tied to the body of Christ. He says here, we are members one of another. We are joined. That is our identity. And so when you think of verses 1 and 2, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, having our minds conform to the to be like Christ rather than to be like the world when we think about that we should be thinking about community I'm called to offer myself a sacrifice with the people of God I'm called to mature along with the people of God I'm called to use my gifts with the people of God there is simply no conception here of a Christian that would be a, a, a separated from the people of God it's one and the same it's like two ways of looking at the same person you are individually a believer in Jesus Christ, a child of God, and you are part of the body of Christ, the people of God. It's, it's really one person's identity, two ways of looking at it. It's like saying you could, you could know me as Craig. That's who I am. That's who I am. You could know me as an individual. Maybe we're friends, you and I, so you know me as a friend. But I'm also part of a family. My wife, a couple of my kids... Uh, are, are here on the front row. So you could know me as a husband and a father. So you could know me individually and interact with me individually, or you could realize that I'm part of a family. Both are my identity. 
And that's what he's saying here, that he can move instantly from individual to the body, individually members of one another. We are one body in Christ, members of one another. That is our identity. So let's don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Grace leads us to think that. Grace leads us to understand community and that we are part of a church, the the community, the people of God. And lastly, grace leads us to use our gifts individually in the community. God leads us to use our gifts in the community. God saves us by grace. God gifts us by grace so that we can play our part in the community. In the, in the illustration, the metaphor he uses of the body, he, he says that each member of the body doesn't have the same function, verse 4. In verse 6, he says it this way, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ. So it's presumed here, that each Christian is identified with a body and that each Christ, a, a church, a people, a community, and that each Christian has gifts. That is, God empowers, God enables individuals to function, to make a contribution to others for their good, for the good of the whole and for the glory of God. And everyone has gifts. It's not that uh, everyone has differing gifts, differing levels of faith. We read earlier, so maybe differing uh, exercise of gifts, but everyone has gifts. And the charge here, the, the charge that Paul is bringing, the command is that they're to be used. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So how do we keep ourselves in check? The gifts are from grace. They're from God, a gift of grace. So nothing for us to boast in, but let us use them. That's a command. Use our gifts. So while it's wrong to have an inflated view of our gifts, it's wrong to covet someone else's gifts and try to be like them. It's wrong to brag about our gifts. It's wrong to be reminding everybody what we do, what we can do, what we've accomplished. That's all arrogance. That's all arrogance. We're to point people to God, not us. But it's also wrong to hide them because we don't want anybody to think that we're doing that. And that's why the command is use your gifts. Get your head on straight. Get a view of God. It's him. It's rightly assess ourselves, soberly assess ourselves, soberly assess our limitations. But celebrate God and the gifts he's given us and use them. First Peter four says something very similar. It's a complimentary text. First uh, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Sounds just like this, doesn't it? As good stewards of God's varied grace, as good stewards, a steward is a manager. A steward is someone who manages something for someone else. So the gifts you have, they're God's. The purpose is to build God's church, not your reputation or your ego, but to build God's church. The gifts belong to him. They come to him. He's given them to you so that you may manage them and deploy them for the good of his church and for his glory. So we're to use our gifts entrusted to the to us. We we see that all over the church this morning, all over this gathering. I mean, behind the scenes, before any of us were here, uh, there were people using their gifts to get this meeting ready. There were people using their gifts in the middle of this meeting. There were people using their gifts out there in the lobby. There were people using their gifts with our children right now in children's ministry. There will be people that will use their gifts at the conclusion of this service. So Sundays is a time when people use gifts to the things God has given them to serve and to build up the church. We do that in our one-on-one relationships we're to do so. A primary context we do this in our church is our care groups. These are small groups where community actually occurs. It's a place where we can not live off a reputation, but currently actively serve in a small context and use our gifts to build one another up. And sometimes in a Sunday meeting like this, when the church is gathered, it can feel like, well, do they really need me? I mean, I popped in and out. I'm not sure I made any real contribution, which is really not the way to look at it. We're here to glorify God. And uh, to honor and praise him. So if we did, we made a worthy contribution to be sure. 
But we, we want to serve on Sunday mornings. And if, that's, if you think everything's covered, it's not. We have a spot for you. See us. Trust me, we have a place that you can use your gifts on Sunday morning. But having said that, sometimes it's not as apparent to us. In a small group, it's apparent. When someone's contribution is missing, the group feels it. And when someone's not making their contribution, ultimately, whether they realize it or not, uh, they're going to feel it in their soul, ultimately, for not stewarding the gifts that God has given them and used them. So this is a context, the care groups, which are a context for community on a small level that we try to use these gifts. Now, I'm going to talk about the gifts that are mentioned here, but I want to say a couple things about it before I look at that. This is not an exhaustive list. I wouldn't want to say he listed these gifts just off the top of his head because that sounds a little flippant. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to list these gifts here. But this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. The reason we know that is because there's other gift lists elsewhere in the Scripture. 1 Peter 4 mentions kind of two categories of gifts. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 12 lists, I don't remember, maybe nine different gifts. Um, Ephesians 4 lists people that are gifts to the church as well. So there's other places where gifts are used. I I, I don't think the goal here is to say you've got to be slotted in one of these six gifts. What he's trying to say is there's a variety of gifts. Like when I said my hand and my eye, I didn't have to list every, you know, functioning part of my body for that illustration to hold up. You got the point. And so, so here he's just going to list some. So if you don't see your, your gifts appearing here, Uh, Well, don't lose heart. Your gifts appear probably somewhere else in Scripture. Or we could even make observations of the Holy Spirit at work in your life in in various differing ways. The goal is here not just to have some buttonhole type of way. This is the the gifts. It's to broadly speak and say there are a variety of ways God works in his church. Now, to break down this list that we have here, uh, I'm going to do it this way. He really gives two categories of gifts. He, He gives speaking gifts. And he gives what we might call service gifts. Now, you understand that speaking is serving too. But broadly, just broadly, I'm going to break this into speaking gifts and serving gifts. The church is made up of differing gifts. And the church will be healthy and will grow and mature when these various gifts are exercised. Here's the first one he mentions. He says, "Uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy... In proportion to our faith. Now, um, I'm assuming that the folks in this church uh, have these gifts that he's mentioning to them. I think it's a very fair assumption. So when he speaks of prophecy, he's speaking of something that's actively happening in the church at Rome. He's speaking of something that actively is happening, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, where this gift is talked about in some detail. I don't have time to fill out the details of this gift. I have taught on it before. I think you can download that message from our website. But here's what he's not talking about. What he's not talking about is speaking the authoritative, inerrant word of God. He's not talking about a church made up of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea who speak the God-breathed, inerrant word of God. Um, In many ways, that's an absurd idea. If you read 1 Corinthians and you see the character of that church... It is a significant stretch of the imagination to say that a church that God described, their gatherings do more harm than good. It's a stretch to believe that people who gather and get drunk at the Lord's Supper, there's incest in the church, and God says they're doing more harm than good. It's hard for me to believe that those people are gathering and speaking the inerrant authoritative word of God like Isaiah. I don't think that's what's happening there. Yet the gift of prophecy is active in their church, and it is here as well. The gift of prophecy is a speaking, not necessarily a predictive, but a speaking forth of something that God, an utterance that God has laid on a heart, one's heart, an impression that God has given. And 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that it's words that are spoken for the church's upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. It's something that God brings to mind that when spoken to a group brings their upbringing. I mean, their upbuilding, rather, not their upbringing, their upbuilding, their their building up, their comforting encouragement that God could speak to folks. Obviously, this is or not obviously this. This is impression that must be weighed by Scripture. No one speaks inerrantly. I don't teach inerrantly. You don't teach inerrantly. We don't share inerrantly. Everything is measured by this measurement of absolute truth. 
But God brings encouragement. We're going to see that through all these speaking gifts. Through teaching that's not inerrant, God brings encouragement. Through exhortation that's not inerrant, God brings encouragement. Through prophecy, God brings encouragement and speaks to his people. And so he says here, in proportion to our faith, exercise that gift. If God has given that to you, then exercise that gift. Make sure it's used objectively, measured by our, the, the word of our faith, the scripture. Uh, but use that to build up the church. Why? Because God encourages his people. God has ordained that gift to encourage, comfort, console, strengthen his people. Another speaking gift he gives here is teaching. According to the grace give us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Um, it goes down and says, the one who teaches in his teaching. If he's saying, if you have a teaching gift, use the teaching gift. The teaching gift instructs God's people in the word of God. Let me give one example where this appears very regularly in the life of our church. And that's in our children's ministry. So, for instance, we ask everyone that takes children to children's ministry to serve in children's ministry. So we ask it's cooperative program. So if you're dropping kids off there. We pray that you will be happy to serve. We're looking for people that, you know, want to help out, want to serve, want to help shoulder the load. Uh, people that love the Lord, people that have a pulse. We, we're looking for people who have more than that, who want to serve. And we're sort of conscripting you to serve if you're dropping kids off there. But there are other people that don't just sort of kind of serve on a rotation every now and then. But they have a gift of teaching. And they want to exercise that gift of teaching in a regular basis. So rather than just you know, participate occasionally on a rotation. We have folks that teach weekly. And that's been one of the benefits of having two services instead of one is that they can teach one service and they can attend this uh, worship gathering, the other service. But these are folks who have a gift. They have a burden. They have They love to study the scripture. They love to make it clear. That's a that's a uh, that's an elevated teaching gift, by the way, someone who can take biblical and doctrinal truth and make it understandable in a compelling way to children. That's one of the highest expressions of teaching gift, uh, I think. So people use that gift there, but that would be an example. If you have a teaching gift, uh, God will open a door for you to use that. That's just one, one example in various ways. Use that gift. Another speaking gift is the gift of exhortation. Looks what he says, verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The word exhort here can mean encourage. Uh, it can also mean to comfort. And it would seem like this kind of a gift could be used publicly and it could be used privately as well. seems like maybe it could happen uh, from a pulpit. Maybe it could happen in a small group. Maybe it could happen in a class. Those might be more public settings, but it can also happen privately. A context where someone gives a gift to someone that they can speak encouragement. They can bring a scripture or bring an application of a scripture that is imparts courage and faith. It brings comfort. Um, people who, I'm going to talk about a private use of this for a minute. People who can come alongside someone and with the gift of their speech can lift them up and encourage them along the way. If you've had that happen to you, you know the experience I'm talking about. You sit across from somebody at coffee or you sit with them. Um, counselors often have this ability. A biblical counselor can hear someone share their pain, their grief, their suffering, their confusion, um, whatever it is. And they can hear it. They can discern sort of what some of the needs are. They can bring the scripture to bear on that person. And then they can speak that scripture and they can speak it away that the person leaves the meeting, the biblical counseling session. They leave it inspired like God is still in control. He's not giving up on me. I can make it another day. I can continue on. I can make it till the end because of the persevering grace of God in my life. And you say, how did I change from hopelessness to faith? God's word and someone with a gift of exhortation to build me up. It can happen in a care group where someone's sharing something. You, you've been you've seen this happen. Someone's confused. They're 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 distraught. And someone just looks at him and communicates an encouraging word, a charge, a truth about God and his faithfulness. And he sometimes even see a person light up and be encouraged. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for reminding me. 
this gift, I think it's one of the most important to, I mean, we can't rank the gifts. That's what the Corinthians did, and they got in serious trouble for it. So we don't rank gifts. But this is a very important one in the life of the church because we all need, I don't know about you, but I need to be exhorted. I need to be encouraged. I need to be pointed to Christ. I need a kick in the pants, seat of the pants sometimes as well. But I need people to come around me and say, we're in this with you. God is faithful. And bring me that word of consolation and encouragement. So that's the three speaking gifts he mentions in this passage. There's others elsewhere, but that's what he mentions here. Uh, Then he gives some what we might call service gifts. First would be a gift of serving. Verse 7, if service. So having, get the context, verse 6, having gifts that differ. If service in our serving. So there's different gifts. If serving is your gift, then use it in serving. Someone's saying, wow, that is great. I've been doing so much stuff. I didn't know you had to have a gift to do that. Now I'm getting a pass. And those who have the gift of serving. No, everybody is called to serve. Is that, that's being a Christian. Okay? There are, certain, there are certain things that everyone is called to do. You know, everybody is called to stack chairs. That just doesn't require a gift to stack chairs. And if you're part of the evangelical church, a non-pew evangelical church, you will have an opportunity in your life at some time, 100% if you're a male, and some of the ladies as well, you have an opportunity and a calling and a privilege, a service opportunity to stack chairs. That's the metaphor of everybody serving. Chair stacking. It's just got to be done. You don't need a gift. I say you don't need a gift, but recently at an event, I was participating in the broad evangelical church without pews gift of stacking chairs, and I was fired. I mean, people were saying, stop doing this, because I had like 12 high, and they were like wobbling, and I was hitting other stacks of chair and crushing small children as they fell. It was bad. So I was actually told, you don't have the gift of stacking chairs, and I was fired. But so I had to go find something else that was universal to do. But so if you're uncoordinated, don't stack high stacks, just stack low stacks like me. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Everybody serves. But there are some people that uniquely have a, I might call it a wiring, a bent, a vision, an orientation to service. Every Christian must serve, but you know these people. They were the first ones here, and they will be the ones who will leave at the end, and they will have a smile on their face. I cornered a guy in the back of the room after the first service, and I said, do you think you have this gift? And, and, uh, because I think you do. I have observed you. I've also seen like the list where things are getting done, and there's an admin list of people, and your name's always on it. I always see you up here participating. And I want to encourage you. I think that God has equipped you. We're all called to serve, but you have an orientation of your heart that is compelling and an example in this area that's unusual. So if that's your gift, use it in serving. It's a wonderful thing. This church and this community is, is, is built up because of the value of this gift. The church is not built up by those that sit back at a distance and complain. And there's plenty of us who do that. Church is built up by those who serve for the glory of God and those who exercise this unique gift in serving more broadly. It's productive. It's fruitful. And it's a glorious gift to see in play in the life of the church. What does he say next? The next one we want to talk about that's an act of serving is this uh, this gift of Uh, contributing. Verse 8, the one who contributes in generosity. So let's read the whole context. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Verse 8, the one who contributes in generosity. Also, I don't have to contribute. He's talking about giving is what that means. So I don't have to give because I'm pretty sure I don't have that gift. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I have the gift of receiving. So someone who has a gift of giving can match up well with me. And I'll receive and they'll give. And this will be this is the way the gifts were made to be. No, everybody is to give. And in the New Testament, the scripture would indicate in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that normal Christianity is sacrificial giving. So that's kind of a norm. Everybody's called to do that. However, there are people whose orientation, I know people like this, whose bent, whose direction, whose heart, whose burden is to give. They're always looking for opportunities. They hear of a need and others say, I'll pray for you. And they cut a check. They hear of a need and they're there to contribute and meet it. Oftentimes, privately, silently, they just get a joy out of seeing others have their needs met. Everybody's called to give. That's Christianity. 
But there's some, some unusually. And I think something can be misunderstood about that. this is sometimes the perception is, well, that must be wealthy people. Wealthy people have a gift of giving. Well, they may. I do think at times God entrusts wealth to be stewarded and managed by those who will faithfully give sometimes. So that is true. But this is not about how much one has. This is about the bent of one's heart, one's gifting. So one can have a large pie of discretionary income or a small pie of discretionary income. The question is, what do we do with our pie? And the person who's given to generosity is, is uh, who's given to contribution, rather, who has the gift of contributing, the gift of giving, is to, to do that with generosity. It's wonderful to see people, ex- and oftentimes we don't even see it. It's done privately. We just hear about it. But it's wonderful to see this in play because it mirrors the grace of God in such a great way. God has given to us freely so we can give. Some people have that gift. Others have the gift of leadership. The one who leads, verse 8, with zeal. So lead with zeal. Leadership is a gift. It's a gift that God gives. He fits people for leadership so that they can exercise that gift with zeal. They're to exercise it as servants. They're to exercise it as those who are humble. They're not to lord it over, Jesus says. They're to exercise with humility. They're to exercise that gift uh, according to the, the sort of uh, the, the grace, the capacity, the context that they've been given. In some cases, they're to exercise that gift uh, only under the condition of meeting certain biblical qualifications. In some, some exercise of some gifts, that's the case of leadership. But they are to exercise that gift. And if God has called you to lead in this church, may God equip you and open a door for you to lead. We spent some time this summer as pastors just talking about, we are working even now on some some new things to do a better job to equip and to deploy leaders in our midst. We believe believe we're in a place for more leaders and trusting God that, that God will continue to help us reach out and that will require more leaders for more people. So this is an exciting thing. There have been times in my own life where I have sort of laid back because I didn't want to appear too too bold and too um, arrogant. And so maybe God had equipped me in some way to lead and wanted to kind of lay back. Well, that's false humility. In genuine humility, with a heart to serve, taking a lowly road, leaders are to lead with zeal, he says. So if you're a leader, that's a, that's a word for you from God. Exercise that gift with zeal. Um, just make sure that you've sort of been delegated the the means to use that gift, that you're not just uh, self-appointed. I'm here. I've got zeal. Listen up. That's not what it's talking about. Okay. There's generally need an invitation rather than a, uh, uh, to lead. But if you will serve faithfully where you are, your gifts will be revealed and God will open the door for you to lead in the way he wants you to. The last one is the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so he is acts of mercy are those who have a care for those who are in need. Um, acts of mercy are those who love to pray for the sick, visit a shut in, serve the poor, care for the needy, both here in our midst, in our area, those who are overseas, those who have a burden to reach those in need. And we're all to have a merciful heart. We're all to care for the needy. The widows and orphans are, are uh, to be on all of our hearts. The sick are to be on all of our hearts. The outcasts are to be on all of our hearts. But there are some people that are uniquely wired with a capacity and a gift to care mercifully for needy people. And he says, if that's you, do that with cheerfulness. Why cheerfulness? Well, because if you enter into mercy ministry and you do acts of care and mercy for needy people and you are around suffering people, and that is your ministry, that is a can be a heavy, burdensome task because you're entering into the sufferings of others. So you don't serve others by bringing heaviness to their heaviness. Serve others not by being glib, but by bringing a cheerful joy of the Lord that's hopeful and a care to them. Now, what is all this? Here's the wrap-up point. What does all this have to do about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought? That's how he started. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but use all of these various gifts. How are they related? Well, here's how they're related. If we aren't, he says, the command is use them, use the gifts. If we are not in community and we are not using our gifts, then we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. How is that? Because we assume, first of all, that I am free to not participate 
in the body of Christ as God has called me to. Like I can self-define my role rather than saying God says my identity is child of God, individual Christian and functioning member of a body. That's God's definition. But I can simply take child of God and isolate myself and define my own role. That's thinking of myself way more highly than I ought because I'm thinking of myself above God, frankly. Secondly, I'm also not aware of my need for the body. So if I am not functioning in context with the people of God in community, then I don't think I need these things among others. I don't need exhortation. I don't need to hear a prophetic word. I don't need teaching. I don't need to receive what someone else might contribute generously. I don't need acts of mercy. I don't need someone else's gift of leadership to help me. I don't need those parts of the body. I'm isolated. I'm on my own. So I think of myself more highly when I define myself, when I think I'm free not to make a contribution, and when I feel like I'm free not, when I don't need the contribution of others. So that's one way that I think we can think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Here's another one that I think is implicit in the text, but let me make this connection for you. I think if we are in community, but we are frustrated in community because the church is not more like our gift, that can be a problem. In other words, what I'm saying is Paul says here, he wants us to understand there are differing gifts, having gifts that differ. There are many members, all do not have the same function. What is Paul saying here? Appreciate the various gifts. But here's how I can think more highly of myself than I ought. When I have my gift, whatever it is, and I look through my glasses. So I have the, uh, the teaching glasses. And this is how I view the whole church. I don't see all these other gifts. I don't see other parts. I see it all through teaching. And I am set up for frustration. Because this is the person that says, why isn't there more teaching? Don't these people care about doctrine? We should have morning, noon, and night Bible studies seven days a week. And I even got a verse over in Acts that says they gather daily in the temple courts. So where is the teaching? Where are the people that love doctrine? And it's all, everything's doctrine, doctrine, teaching, teaching, teaching. And we can view the church that way. And judge others. Why don't you want teaching like I do? Why aren't you into doctrine like I do? I am. Or we can view the church through a gift of mercy. And there are needs. People are hurting. Doesn't everybody, how can people wake up? How can everybody not spend every day consumed with the needs of the hurting, the poor, the broken? Should we be consumed? Concerned? Absolutely. But is everything in the church Supposed to be built around acts of mercy? I don't think so. That's not all the message. Or the person who has the gift of prophecy to look at the church. What's God saying? I mean, I need a, I, I'm encouraged to, to hear a current expression of the heart of God expressed for us. And they're just longing and looking for that. And they're minimizing the teaching gift. People who have a heart for that often minimize the teaching gift. Right? And so they're just consumed with that. Or giving. I'm sacrificing. Why isn't, aren't other people sacrificing and giving? Did you see what they bought? I mean, have they read the Bible? What did Jesus say? Did Jesus have that? I don't think so. Why aren't they giving generously like I'm sacrificing? So everybody in the church has to have your gift and be just like you. And if they're not, there's something wrong with the church. Serving. Oftentimes it's joyful people. The guy I cornered back here and encouraged is joyful. But sometimes, have you had this experience at Where's everybody else? Okay, Jesus is a servant. I'm a servant. I don't know about anybody else in this church. Why why are they leaving me? Five of us were supposed to show up. Guess how many showed up? One, me. Where is everybody else was serving? And so we can just look at, is everybody to serve? Yes. Everybody to give? Yes. But we can view the church through our bent. And then what happens is we don't have a full orb church. We We have a deformed body. Because all of the gifts aren't working together. All of them aren't functioning. And the better approach is not to think of ourselves more highly as we ought and usher our gift to the front, but to pray for a balanced church where all the gifts, gift of administration, gift of leadership, all these things can be valued and appreciated and cultivated and prayed for and celebrated so that the church of Jesus Christ is healthy and grows And does its part so that the world can be reached. That's the goal. So we think of ourselves not more highly than we ought. It's all of grace. 
We want to serve however we can and trust that our gifts will emerge and just use our gifts as God has given them to us for the good of the body and not for ourselves. Because when that happens, the person of Christ is on display. It's his body, various gifts working together for his glory. What if we all participated in that way? What if we all participated? What if we all thought soberly about ourselves if we were grateful and eager to do whatever is needed, which means stacking chairs for all of us, but then also using various other gifts that God has given us to, to build the church, celebrating the different gifts, stepping out by faith to use our gifts to give glory to God and not to ourselves. What if verse 6, let us use them. An expression of gifts in the body of Christ is an expression of God's grace. And so may God give more gifts and display himself in greater ways through these and other gifts that are in the scripture as well, that his name may be lifted up and that his people may be built up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would treasure the gift of grace that is in you. And we pray that we would exercise the gifts that you have given us. Lord, some of us are living on reputation. That's a reality for me, Lord. I can, I can live today like it was back in the day, and it's not. And I, I pray that you would refresh our hearts and renew our passion for you and your purposes in the church. And that you would... Uh, stir into flame the gifts that you've placed in people in this church, that the body might be built up, Lord, that you would use people for your glory, God. We pray that we would value the differing gifts around us, that we'd celebrate your work in people that's different from us. Maybe the way they use their gifts is, is foreign to us. We pray we'd celebrate that because it's your work. We pray that we would lift our eyes to the giver and not the gifts. We lift our eyes to the Savior and His work and His church, we pray. Thank you, our Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an opportunity, opportunity to use your gifts now. Go exhort someone. Don't set up a pulpit and teach out there or something. But, you know, exhort, acts of mercy, care, instruction, service, all that kind of stuff. Let's be the body of Christ. Use the gifts God's given us. And uh, have a wonderful afternoon. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.